On Saturday, the University of Oklahoma football team will welcome in the Bruins of the University of California, Los Angeles. Their head coach is Chip Kelly. You may have heard of him. It's all very exciting stuff. But I'm not quite ready to move on to UCLA yet. No, before we do that, I must deliver my mea culpa. I didn't feel I was forceful enough on the show earlier this week, so I wanted to bring it up one more time just to drive the point home. I was incredibly wrong about Florida Atlantic. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything in the realm of college football I've ever been more wrong about. I said Florida Atlantic was an easy top 25 team. That was incorrect. I said Florida Atlantic was, a more, ta- or was more talented than half of the Big 12. That was incorrect. I said Florida Atlantic's defense would get some stops. <laughs> that was incorrect. I said Florida Atlantic would move the ball and score 35 points. That was incorrect. I said Oklahoma would struggle with Florida Atlantic. My God, that was incorrect. Here at West of Everest, we really value the intelligence of our audience. And in turn, we hope that you value our credibility. So while it's definitely fun for us to sometimes pat ourselves on the back for stuff that we've nailed in the past, wait until we spike the football about our Florida State Willie Taggart take later on in this show. But it's equally as important to admit when we're wrong, and we're going to do that. Above all else, Lee and I want to provide a credible, honest, and self-aware analysis of OU football. If we settle for anything less, it's unacceptable. So, the FAU game is now a thing in the past. What about UCLA? Well, we're going to cover the Bruins from every angle. Lee and I have both watched every play from their game against Cincinnati last week. Like I said earlier, it's, it, was, it was rough, a really rough game. Very difficult game to watch. And we certainly have some thoughts on it. So thorough, honest, self-aware analysis of OU-UCLA, as well as the rest of the college football landscape, begins now. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. He's trying to get that gun over the right. He cannot. Here he comes now. Can he get it? Perkins slips. Got it. Perkins for the record. Breaks free. Looking for the third touchdown. Down the sideline. Antonio Perkins. Three foot return touchdowns and a new NCAA record. You knew it was going to be Antonio Perkins welcoming us into the show today. Back in 2003, Perkins broke two NCAA records against UCLA by becoming the first player to return three punts for touchdowns in a game. And Perkins also accumulated 277 punt return yards, which shattered the previous single game record of 219. The Sooners crushed the Bruins that September day, 59 to 24. Hey everyone, once again, welcome to the show. I'm Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top with his opening take. Next up for the Sooners is a home matchup this Saturday against Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins. For the second week in a row, a high-level offensive head coach makes his way to Norman. But what do we make of Chip Kelly's offense at UCLA? We've watched Kelly's debut game from last week against Cincinnati, and to me, this offense looks nothing like the old Chip Kelly Oregon teams. I'll explain, plus Grant will have more details as well later on in the show. Before we get too entrenched with OU-UCLA discussion, let me, rem- let me remind you that if you like this podcast, tell your friends, tell your family, heck, even tell your coworkers, anybody who's a Sooners fan in your life, please let them know about West of Everest. We think they'll enjoy the content, 
You can subscribe on iTunes. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. We'd also encourage you to like the show on Facebook. We're getting closer and closer to 100 likes. Sure, it's not a ton, but it's a start. Help us out. Like the Facebook page where you can get updates on the show. Also, a big thank you to those who've liked the Facebook page and have also left us a review slash recommendation on Facebook. Those are just as good as iTunes reviews, and they've been very positive so far. So thank you very much. If you're on Twitter, you can follow Grant and I there. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25, at Grant Benson 25. And if you like email, you can hit us up. The email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. All right, time to bring back Grant. And we start with the news that Addison Gums is transferring out of the Oklahoma program. We're recording this on Wednesday night. The news broke Wednesday afternoon, so just a few hours ago. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Oklahoma cited personal reasons for the transfer. Gums wasn't going to play this season anyways because of that knee injury he sustained last Friday. Maybe he didn't want to sit around uh, in Norman with that injury rehabbing for all this time, and, and he decided that he wanted to make a change, go home, and, and kind of rethink his future. Anyways, Addison Gums is transferring from the program. Grant, what are your thoughts on Gums leaving? Uh, not, I mean, just kind of shocked as of now. That's a that's a very quick turnaround. Um, I don't even want to speculate on what it could be. They're they're saying personal reasons, and so I, I have no no reason to believe otherwise. Uh, but just just a very very quick turnaround. Uh, you know, a, a week ago at this time, he was expected to start on, on Saturday against Florida Atlantic. Um, you know, he blows out his knee on Friday night, and now you know a few days later, he's transferring from the program. So what a I mean, what a crazy you know five days for Addison Gums. Um, I, I'm sure the full story will come out of that later on down the line. Um, but yeah, j- just obviously a very weird situation. I, I guess it's just I. What else can you say about it? I don't know. And the thing is, again, he wasn't going to be a part of this team on the field, at least this season. So we already knew that. And now he's gone. And so it, I guess it affects the future Oklahoma defense. But now they know he's going to be gone. They can recruit. And I mean, he's a good player. So we wish him the best. And uh, sucks it didn't work out. Injuries aren't great. But yeah, not much else to add there. So as we've covered that, let's now move on to on the field college football stuff and I want to start the show today or at least transition from Addison Gums to a different part of the show to a question that both of us can kind of chew on get a little dialogue going week one of the college football season is now in the books of course Grant you've probably watched back some of the games from this week uh, from from last week now and and I've watched a decent amount of games back as well still have more games to watch of course there's so many teams in college football and so many different games to watch Still have more to go, but I've watched a decent amount. So, Grant, I'm going to ask you, give me one thing that surprised you this weekend in college football, and then I'll ask you one thing that didn't quite surprise you. But begin with what surprised you in college football this past week. I, I feel stupid saying this, and I, I guess, you know, after the last two years, I probably shouldn't be surprised by this, but uh, Michigan surprised me, Lee, uh, just with how inept they were still uh, on offense, especially with Shea Patterson there. Uh, they just they did not. They looked like they they just didn't really have any sort of identity on offense or really, I I just I, I I'm I'm completely gobsmacked as how of how Harbaugh has not uh, he has not been able to field a competent offense once in his time at Michigan so far. It makes no sense to me. I, I I'm totally shocked by that. Um, it's just it, it it really makes no sense whatsoever. It's not fair to that defense because that defense is always good. 
It's always really good. And the defense and I'm not was, sure how good it's going to be, though, this year. It, it didn't look as strong against Notre Dame. It, I, I, I watched a little bit of the game. I went back and I kind of watched a condensed version of that game. I, th- I thought Michigan's defense looked pretty good, actually. Um, you know, not, not particularly in the first half, but um, in the second half, Notre Dame did not really do anything. Uh, they really didn't true, move the ball true. at all. And I just, you know, I, I love my S&P stuff. And so this is Notre Dame only had a 33% success rate in that game. So, I mean, they, they were they struggled to move the ball. They did, they did not move the ball consistently at all. Um, Michigan actually outgained Notre Dame in that game, Lee. Something for me that's that was surprising, and we touched on this a bit on the last episode, Maryland beating Texas. Uh, again, I think I and the nation collectively – just let Maryland's off-the-field problems with the death of Jordan McNair affect the way we felt about this game too much. Of course the Terrapins were focused and rallied around their teammate to play well and then beat Texas again. I feel like we should have seen this coming. And, of course, Texas seems to be the same Texas under Tom Herman. Shaky offense and a defense that's probably going to be pretty good this year, but a defense that has problems with Maryland in Week 1, I guess. Texas, a 12.5-point favorite in that game, and I feel like an idiot for taking the horns. So that was something that surprised me. Before you – do you want to add anything on Texas? I mean, yeah. I, it, I mean, I, I share your thoughts. That surprised me as well. I, I mean, I'm I, – I guess we kind of keep doing the same thing every year with Texas now, thinking that they're going to turn it around, I guess, and I – I, I, I don't even know what to think anymore. Yeah, I, I'm 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 completely shocked that Maryland was able to kind of rally around their team, um, you know, and actually come out and play well in that game. But I mean, what is what is what's Texas got to do? I mean, they something is wrong there. Um, and I I mean, I think I I don't think it's as as much of a mystery as we think. I mean, they're for the last decade they've been they've been borderline uh, bad to atrocious on the offensive line and at quarterback. So, I mean, that that's basically what it is. Um, but at the same time, Lee, I mean, they have no weapons in the backfield whatsoever. Their running backs are awful, are like bad, awful. And you look at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, two of the, the two biggest schools in this, in this state where I am in Oklahoma, and they just have, I mean, they're four and five deep at running back. It's incredible. Yeah, and so uh, uh, yeah. and I guess you know to add another, if, if we're gonna or to move on from Texas, I, I suppose if we want to kind of go more into deep college football, a big surprise was um, uh, BYU beating Arizona as as handily as they did. I thought was pretty surprising. Also, pretty surprising that Kevin Sumlin at Arizona wants to make Khalil Tate into a pocket passer. That's some galaxy brain stuff right there. Like, I mean, I don't. That's one of the games I still have not watched yet, and I'm curious to see how Khalil Tate and someone's offense looks. So yeah, I haven't seen that yet, so I can't really comment on it. But I was surprised by that score for sure. Yeah, but you know, other than that, it's there's just a lot of uh, just there was a lot of games this past week that just really weren't games at all. I mean, Alabama obviously comes to mind, and uh, you know, Ohio State put damn near 80 points on Oregon State. Um, just a lot of, I, like I said, I, I really think there's a clear demarcation line. There's, I mean, there's seven or eight teams in the country that, that are just a lot better than everyone else. Um, this, this might be kind of a, uh, a season where not a whole lot, uh, not a whole lot of fireworks happen. This might be a season where we're kind of the top 10 sort of just kind of just rules everybody. It wouldn't surprise me. We've had seasons like that before. All right, let's try to save some of this stuff for later in the show because obviously everyone listening wants to hear about OU. So let's do the something not surprising. And I have a feeling that maybe your your thing is going to be the same as my thing. So I'll start, and this might be the chance 
that we both, and you mentioned it in your opening take, are going to spike the football. My not surprising thing is Florida State losing to Virginia Tech. Is that the same as your not surprising thing, or did you have something different? Yeah, yeah, that that was it for sure. And it kind of it kind right. of it kind of went exactly how I envisioned it. If Florida State was going to lose too, how was that? Uh, just just really sloppy on offense. Maybe not as as turnover heavy as it actually was. Uh, but I, I I anticipated them struggling on offense if that was going to be it. Um, and they obviously did. Was it Virginia Tech had like fourteen tackles for loss? That's just, I mean, that's that's fourteen plays right there where you're you're going backwards. So I mean, it's really hard to win if if that's going to happen. And Willie Taggart's supposed to be this this genius offensive guy, and that offense looked terrible. And the moment just looked too big for him. I mean, it, the biggest error in the game was when Florida State looked like they scored a touchdown to cut that Vatek lead to ten to seven in the first half, but the officials ruled the player down. And the replays showed that the player's knee wasn't down and he was kind of falling on the defender into the end zone. So it should have been a touchdown. And yeah, the replay officials should have stopped the game to review it. So it's kind of puzzling that they didn't stop it, which, again, I I was surprised. However, though, you have the opportunity as a head coach, Willie Taggart, you can call a timeout and ask for a review. And then if you get the review correct, then you get your timeout back. So for whatever reason, they went up to the line really quickly and I guess I know what they were doing they're thinking well we're at the one yard line even if he did score there we should be able to punch it in anyways it's from a yard out let's just go fast and catch him off guard and score ended up backfiring they false started went back to the six yard line had to kick a field goal instead of getting a touchdown and that was just that was a huge blunder and there was another issue later in the game where weird play calls and Florida State turned it over and every time they cut over to Willie Taggart he just looked like he was kind of staring out into space and wasn't really in control of anything and was kind of like, okay, well, whatever. And there was even one shot of him with his his hands up over his head in that surrender Cobra thing you always see on Twitter and social media that when people know that the game is over and they're, they're sad about their team losing. And he had Willie Taggart doing that on the sideline. So he just looked like he was very much overwhelmed. Sure, it's tough to have your first game be against Virginia Tech, a very good defense in a conference game. But, man, they're at home under the lights, a touchdown favorite, and Florida State looked terrible. Yeah, they, they did not look ready to play, which is exactly what you would what, what you would expect you know, from a program that's coached by a bad coach. He's a bad coach. <laughs> Yeah, he's never a, a below average coach. Yeah, and so he might and he might be bad coach. He's below average. He might be bad. Yeah, thank you. Um, I I do have one more thing that's uh that wasn't surprising. It kind of, it has more of a Big Twelve flair. Um, and you'll you'll like this, Lee. You'll agree with me on this one. Texas Tech's defense being terrible, not surprising. <laughs> Another game I haven't watched back yet, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna check that one. Well, out. they gave they gave up damn near nine yards per play to Ole Miss. So yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Texas Tech had like three members of their secondary on the all Big 12 team. Come on, guys. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. I didn't vote any of them to the all Big 12 team when I was doing my ballot. Zero of them because they play for Texas Tech and they're not good. Yeah, was maybe was that was that Ole Miss Texas Tech game from a gambling perspective? Was that maybe the easiest money ever? Texas Tech was favored in that game. Yeah, Texas Tech was a two point favorite. I jumped on, uh, well, we both did. We both jumped on Ole Miss and, and cruised to an easy victory. Yeah, that, that, one. that one was easy. Yeah, Ole Miss scored like literally like 15 seconds into the game, too. It was over right from the beginning. Hilarious. Yeah, there's some people out there, though, that were on tech. I listened to a gambling podcast for college football, and one of the sharps on there, and I'm going to do air quotes with that, he was on Texas Tech. 
And it just uh, it makes you say, I mean, yeah, anybody can be a, a sports better, but man, it, there's not much of an exact science to it. All right, Grant, let's jump into UCLA. We're going to go over both sides of the football. And it makes sense to begin with the Bruins offense because, well, Chip Kelly is in Westwood now, and that's incredibly interesting. As a 16-and-a-half-point favorite last Saturday, UCLA lost to Cincinnati 26-17. to I was on the Bruins, didn't know much at all about either team. Basically, I was just backing Chip Kelly, and I got burned. Grant and I have both watched that game, as we've talked about a couple times on the show already. Grant did at least. So, uh, so basically, we watched the game, so all of you didn't have to watch it. And I'll be honest, it was a snoozer. It was a hard watch. Uh, this UCLA offense under Chip Kelly looked nothing like the Chip Kelly Oregon offenses. That's my main takeaway from week one. Uh, when you think of the Oregon offenses under Kelly from the mid to late 2000s until 2012, what comes to mind in, in your head? You think fast, up-tempo, explosive plays, quarterbacks who can run the football and also can throw the ball a little bit too when they need to. You know, lots of points being scored. That's what you think of, right? Well, that's not at all what I saw from UCLA on Saturday against the Bearcats. UCLA very rarely used that tempo. And I'm not an expert on how Kelly transitioned to the NFL with his offense, but I've read that the NFL's rules didn't quite allow him to go as fast as he wanted to. And sure, Philly's offense at first was more up-tempo than everybody else in the NFL. And, and Kelly did have success in his first two years going 10-6 and six both times. But after that, he struggled, got fired, and then struggled with the 49ers before getting fired again. I bring this all up because I'm thinking that the offense that I saw Saturday looked more like the offenses he was running with with Mark Sanchez at quarterback and Sam Bradford at quarterback in the NFL. Not a lot of tempo, very little of the quarterbacks keeping the ball and running the ball. So, Grant, what are your initial takeaways from this Chip Kelly UCLA offense? Well, Lee, the first thing that 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 stands out when you watch the game is is just how awful they are on the offensive line. Um, and I and I I said this to you like almost instantly when I started watching the game. Uh, th they might be worse than Florida Atlantic on the offensive line, and that is not hyperbole. They were they are bad on the offensive line. Um, it's it's not surprising. They got a lot of they got a lot of youth there, and you know they were they were bad on the offensive line last year and lost a lot of guys. Uh, so I think they're starting a true freshman at center and. Uh, their right guard I saw just got beat constantly, constantly, constantly. Um, so we we might have a a, a, a very similar instance, uh, you know, with the game on hand this week. Um, there's going to be a lot of Sooners defensive linemen in the backfield in, the, in this game on Saturday. It's um, this this offensive line for UCLA is going to be completely overmatched. I'm looking at a article, an article from a UCLA fan website. It looks like to be an SB Nation UCLA site, and they're grading every single position group from that Cincinnati game. And the offensive line grade that is, uh, that is on this article is an F. So what you saw on tape is exactly what uh, somebody that follows UCLA very closely saw as well. A very bad showing by the offensive line. So that definitely bodes well to a for an Oklahoma defensive line who played a very solid game against Fort Atlantic on Saturday and perhaps will go up against an offensive line either just as bad as FAU's or potentially even worse than the Owls. And what was the thing last week that we were talking about? Oklahoma was going up against an FAU offensive line that had to replace three starters from last year. And we thought that, that was going to be a nice advantage for OU. And it, it, it seems like that same advantage is, is there this, uh, this time around against UCLA. 
that offense against Cincinnati, just 306 total yards of offense. And that's the kind of number that you would routinely see a Chip Kelly Oregon team put up maybe in one half of football when the game would be over with and they'd be sitting their starters by halftime or early in the third quarter. The Bruins only averaged 4.5 yards per play. And Grant, you take away a 74-yard touchdown run by a track star running back they've got. And UCLA gained just 70 yards on 30 carries, which is a 2.3 average. It's just a very punchless offense uh, by Chip Kelly. And I was just stunned. The main thing, let's talk about this. The main thing that I was stunned by, I thought there'd be a lot of tempo. There wasn't any tempo. They ran tempo, Grant, and I wrote it down. Wilton Spate was in the game for about a quarter and a half. With Wilton Spate, the former Michigan quarterback, they ran tempo just two times. And then Dorian Thompson-Robinson came in when Spate injured his back. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson played about two and a half quarters, roughly. And with this guy, a true freshman quarterback who's mobile, they ran tempo two times. So four times all game, they actually went up to the line quickly and snapped the ball quickly. I was shocked by that, were you? Yeah, I was, uh, because that's pretty much all I'm expecting from Chip Kelly. I, I figured, you know, that would it, that'd be a cinch for him, you know, in, in his very first year to add, you know, to UCLA's offense. I figured, you know, he can at least add that, and that doesn't seem to be the case at all, unless he's saving something for Oklahoma, which doesn't do you doesn't do, doesn't do you any good at all if you're losing to Cincinnati. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm sure they have their reasons for it. I'm sure Chip Kelly would like to go hyperspeed fast. Um, I'm sure there's there's some elements in there of, you know, it's, it's a new offense. He's only been there for six months. Maybe it takes a while for, you know, for people to learn the offense and people to get used to it. Maybe they're trying to protect their defense. Um, there's probably a lot to go, you know, that goes into it, Lee, but I mean, the takeaway from what I've seen of UCLA, and this is all we can go off of is that one game. UCLA is not, is not good. They're not a good football team. Um, and they, it, it, it it surprised me how inept they were on offense. They they looked they looked confused. Uh, it, it looks like a lot of people uh, who were playing their first college football games. To be honest with you, one of those players playing his first game was true freshman Casimir Allen, and he's that running back number nineteen, the track star. And I say that because I guess he was a a standout hundred meter high school athlete. And he had a long 74-yard touchdown. The one explosive play of the entire game by UCLA. Take away that and that offense. I think the longest play of the game from the from UCLA's offense outside of okay, you know, 74-yard run. The longest pass play they had was 16 yards. They so they they weren't a threat at all to throw the ball down the field against Cincinnati and didn't even really try either. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So. Uh, so it makes me you brought up a little thing a second ago are they saving things for Oklahoma I'm it's a good question because was Chip Kelly thinking you know what we're gonna go vanilla in game one get my guys some reps I don't want to show too many things and go out and try to shock the college football world and beat Oklahoma with a a totally different kind of offensive system something that I that's more Chip Kelly like where maybe he's gonna go out there be more up-tempo try to take those deep shots like he used to I just don't know though if he has the personnel to even if he wants to do that make it an effective way of, of getting through the Oklahoma defense that's so that's yeah that's no, a good question yeah Ch- Chip Kelly is a guy who is I you know going into that game this past Saturday I think was something ridiculous like 48 and 7 in college I think guy knows what he's doing 
he knows what he has on the offensive line. Uh, he, he knows his offensive line is atrocious. So I, I mean, I'm, I, I really don't know. I, I think a lot of it is probably you or Chip Kelly knows that he they're gonna have to take their licks this year. I think. Um, and so the reason why I was on them last weekend is I was thinking Chip Kelly and plus, you know, UCLA is has recruited fairly well, you know, under Jim Mora. And I figured, you know, hey, there's there's still some good players there, some good athletes there for Chip Kelly to take advantage of. Lee, um, especially on offense, that, that true freshman, Casimir Allen, was the only threat I saw on their offense. He's, he's the only guy that, that OU should be slightly concerned about. Would, do you, would you agree? Yeah. Running back-wise, yeah. Their other running backs didn't do anything. They do have a big old tight end that uh, is potentially like a red zone type target for them. I'm trying to find his name. Um, but there's I, there's no one that you saw other than the Casimir Allen Wilson. Though. Okay, that that you think could like take over a game, a guy who like if it could get hot. Uh, that Casimir Allen guy's pretty explosive. He's fast. Um, but right. he just didn't have very much much room to to run. He I doesn't mean, except for that he one. Didn't. He broke I think one tackle on that big play, and then he was gone off gotcha. the races. Yeah. I mean, no one's gonna catch him. He should have been tackled for for a gain of like three yards on the play. Uh, but I. I it's it's uh, I I would you know what I, I was about to say I would encourage people to go back and watch that game. Don't it's a it was an awful <laughs> awful football game. Uh, just uh, two two not very good football teams playing against each other and a lot of uh, just just not a lot of talented players on each side. Uh, I mean that's you know UCLA has got some guys on defense who have some ability, but um, I jeez I gotta tell you that was that was a really hard game to watch. I, I kind of well, get to these. Go ahead, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I had to watch it in like five different... Uh, sittings? Sittings, because it was so boring. It was awful. It was it was bad. It was a really boring game. Uh, okay, so I have some questions with the UCLA offense going up against the OU defense. Let's go through them. So we mentioned the quarterback situation a little bit. Here it is, just to recap. Wilton Spate, the original starter, he started against Cincinnati. A grad transfer from Michigan, or just a transfer. I can't remember. I don't know if he's a grad transfer or not. I, I think so. Uh, he's day-to-day, I believe, with a back injury. Uh, on Wednesday, as we record this, I think he did a little bit of light throwing, but uh, there hasn't been any sort of ruling on who will start. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson relieved Wilton Spade. He's a true freshman, blue-chipper quarterback. Uh, are, are we going to just assume that this is the guy that's going to start, Dorian Thompson-Robinson-Grant? I think he. I think it will be Dorian Thompson-Robinson. What do you think? Yeah, I think you have to assume that he's going to start. I mean, Wilson Spade has got a back injury. Um, and I, he I had just, a back problem last year when he got injured at, at Michigan. Yeah, and if, if anybody here has ever had back issues, that stuff just doesn't go away in the course of a week. And uh, that's that stuff's, you know, it's pretty hard to play through stuff like that. You know, back injuries reverberate throughout your entire body, especially if you're trying to throw a football. I, I, I can't imagine that Wilton Spade's going to play. Um, I, I think it's very safe to assume that it's going to be Dorian Thompson Robinson. And that, that that's probably good for UCLA because I was more impressed with him than I was with Wilton Spate. Does it matter who starts at quarterback Spate or Thompson Robinson to you? I, I, I don't, I mean, no, probably not. It, we're the, the FAU is better on offense than UCLA is. Uh, it's, it, it, it could get pretty ugly. Yeah. I don't think it really matters. I, if Wilton Spade starts, that's a great sign for OU because I just don't think he's a very good player. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson gives UCLA a better chance to be more dynamic with his legs, and it gives Chip Kelly a little more 
little more th- options to work with, especially with a week of practice to get ready for a game like Oklahoma. But ultimately, it shouldn't really matter who starts for UCLA. Uh, the offense is very limited. At least the offense we saw last Saturday was pretty limited. Grant, is there any any parts of the UCLA offense that you think can present problems, though, for the Oklahoma defense? I know you asked about, or you mentioned uh, Casimir Allen a bit. But, it's it's uh, it's him. It's Casimir Allen getting to the edge. Um, I, I I just I, I didn't see anybody complete really any forward passes at all. Um, that weren't just just one read plays that were just kind of dump offs. Um, I did see Cincinnati did blow some coverages and in, in which UCLA could not take advantage of. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be tough for UCLA. I was I I, I thought Dorian Thompson Robinson showed a little bit of promise. He does got a little bit of zip when he throws the ball, uh, not with a lot of accuracy. And he was plagued by a couple yeah. of drop passes, yep. and yep. so was Wilton Spate early yep. in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, it's. It's hard to put into words how bad that offensive line is. It's uh, any any quarterback behind that is is just is going to struggle no matter what. I feel the same way about this game as I did last week against Florida Atlantic. I just think Oklahoma must be disciplined and must be able to tackle in this game. You know, Chip Kelly's offense, like FAU's offense, just simple. FAU used a lot more tempo than uh, we saw UCLA UCLA use against Cincinnati. Uh, it was incredibly effective at Oregon because of that tempo, which we didn't see against Cincinnati. The Bruins took that tempo away. So, so you know, what you had was a simple offense that didn't force the defense to play on its heels really at all. So it's it's hard for me to really, outside of that, you know, that one dynamic player. And I know they have a good receiver as well at at UCLA. Um, let's see, what's his name? This is so bad. I it, Theo Howard. Theo Howard. Yeah, he's supposed to be one of the better receivers in the in college football. He had five grabs for fifty two yards against Cincinnati. So I guess those two players could present problems with from Oklahoma. But I'd say Florida Atlantic had more dynamic issues than UCLA presents. They did. So they, if Oklahoma they did, was they, able to to do what they did against FAU, they should be able to do the same thing against UCLA. Based off of what we've seen from you know from FAU and UCLA last week. Uh, I would say at worst they are a wash on the offensive line, um, a wash at quarterback, and FAU has better skill players. Devin Singletary is better than anybody on UCLA's offense. Um, Jovan Durant, I think, is better than any of the receivers that UCLA has. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm shocked at the lack of talent that that's on that UCLA offense. It's 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 shocking, especially considering how well uh, Jim Moore recruited there. Uh, there. I just I didn't see you know, a maybe lot of, those classes really weren't as good as they were supposed to be. Yeah, maybe he didn't really recruit that well. I just I, I just really didn't see a whole lot of ability on UCLA's offense. And of course, as soon as I say that, I'm sure they'll score 40 points and have like 600 yards. And I'm sure the the 2017 OU defense will show up. But I digress. Certainly possible. You may be listening to this podcast and thinking that we're dogging on the UCLA offense and thinking, well, okay, what did the film say? I mean, they have to do something to to get other defenses off balance you know do they use motion do they try to get you know, shift do they try to get the defense kind of guessing and thinking well not really I mean they the offense very rarely ever used motion against Cincinnati I saw I have every single play logged here let me count it up I saw motion used one two three four five six six times throughout the entire game and I think UCLA ran about 66 plays only six different times they actually utilized some sort of motion 
So it's not like they're even going to be motioning guys around and trying to get you know Kenneth Murray's eyes going one way or or somebody a linebacker or change. We didn't see it against Cincinnati, so it's just it seems like what they the way they line up, that's what they're going to be. So, man, I mean, I really think this is a it's an offense where if Oklahoma just does exactly what they did against FAU, doesn't take UCLA too lightly because I think Oklahoma was expecting a fight from Florida Atlantic and they were ready to go. I'm kind of afraid of Oklahoma watching this film and thinking, oh, this this offense isn't that scary. Let's not really worry about them that much. And they could maybe be caught off guard, but this team seems so hungry, Oklahoma does, especially after a great defensive performance. You know they're going to want to continue that good defense into week two. So this is an offense that Oklahoma's defense should really take care of Grant. Yeah. Uh, bottom line, after watching UCLA, this is this is a focus game for Oklahoma. Focus, uh, take care of your business, and, and you're going to win the game. That simple. Let's move on to the UCLA defense taking on the Oklahoma offense. And the Bruins defense last season, atrocious. UCLA allowed 6.1 yards per play, which was 101st in the nation, and allowed 5.8 yards per rush, which is almost dead last in college football, 127th out of 130 teams. On Saturday, this past Saturday against UC, uh, against Cincinnati, UCLA, though, only allowed 3.8 yards per rush against, against uh, the Bearcats. So, Grant, is this UCLA defense better than it was last year? Yeah, I think so. Um, and so I, I really don't think their defense played that poorly against Cincinnati. Uh, there are definitely some moments where – uh, their defensive front got blown off the ball, but I, they really do have some guys with ability on their defense, and I'm, I'm mostly thinking of their outside linebackers. Um, uh, what's his name? Yeah, uh, uh, Kishan Lucier South. I uh, kind of flash for me. Just has his athleticism. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good, um, and I, I, I do kind of like the aggressiveness they have in the front seven of their defense. I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference against the Oklahoma offensive line, uh, but you could tell they, they were doing a lot of stuff in there to try to get linebackers into the backfield at least. And so, I mean, Cincinnati only averaged like, you know, four yards per play in the game. And so I mean, that's good for, for UCLA. Yeah, I'd say the easy answer to this question is, yes, the defense is better than last year. And there's two reasons for that, I would say. Number one, experience. Uh, according to your guy, Bill Connolly, UCLA has 22 defenders returning this year who averaged about one tackle per game. And the other reason why I think this defense is better is new defensive coordinator Jerry Azanaro. He's worked with Chip Kelly before in Oregon, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. He runs a 3-4. And against Cincinnati, the Bruins defense looked like it wanted to be pretty darn aggressive, at least in the first half. Although that aggressiveness did seem to drop off after halftime for some reason. Did you notice that too, Grant, watching the game? Because I thought UCLA's defense in the first quarter was super aggressive and was bringing guys and bringing the house. And yeah, they were bringing the guys. Went on after halftime, they kind of played soft zone a lot. Yeah, in the first half, they really were aggressive. They were trying to uh, they're trying to uh, to disguise their looks too up front. And I thought, um, I, I love that stuff. I, I think it's a great way to free up defenders into the backfield. Um, and you know, if they do that against OU, they'll, they'll, they'll make some plays. They'll probably make some plays if, if, if they're going to play like that. Um, but yeah, I, I did see way too many times there. They have a really young and, and small defensive line. Um, and that, that does not bode well going up against 
you know, Bobby Evans and Ben Powers and Drew Samia. I, they're, they got, they got their work cut out for them. That's for sure. And I saw a stat that ESPN flashed on the screen during the game. Speaking of that defensive line, all of the backups on that defensive line, every single one of them are true freshmen. And as the defense, uh, the defense as a whole, nine of 11 backup defensive players on the depth chart are freshmen as well. So, the depth isn't quite there as far as experience goes. I mean, everyone starting for the most part has some experience, but after the starters, there's a lot of green players on this UCLA defense, which we saw Oklahoma on Saturday. Sure, had some new freshman players, and heck, I mean, two of the guys were some of the best players on the field, Ronnie Perkins and Buki. But outside of that, though, Oklahoma showed they had plenty of depth on the defensive line and also, of course, in the secondary. Not so sure that UCLA has that kind of quality depth that Oklahoma did, so something to definitely look out for as well. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they're going to use tempo a lot on Saturday. Um, at least that that would be in the back of my mind. I'm not sure if it's necessary, but that makes me wonder if, they, if they're really going to try to go fast on Saturday just to get just to wear UCLA out. That's probably a pretty easy way just to kind of punch them out right there. Any glaring weaknesses? Hold on, let me restart that. Any anything you saw in film from UCLA's defense that could present problems for Oklahoma's offense? Uh, yeah, I mean, just the aggressiveness up front. I mean, they're they, like, especially in the first half, they're very aggressive with their blitzes and and trying to disguise uh, who's coming and whatnot. And so, I, I can I can certainly see them making some plays. You know, maybe shooting the gap um, on on one of those counter tray plays. I I can certainly see them making some plays. Um, th- that would be the only thing. One thing that I did notice is is I saw, um, you know, I definitely saw some missed tackles. Uh, from UCLA, which I know was a huge, huge problem for them last year. That probably that I mean that has not been um, it has not been corrected enough. I thought Cincinnati did you know did a much better job in the second half of that game uh, running the ball between the tackles. UCLA seemed to get tired a little bit, and that's when the tackling sort of went off as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean it, it, this is a tall order for UCLA. There's there's a very very you know legitimate reason why they're thirty point underdogs. Yeah, I think the aggressiveness too. just let's say Oklahoma is in a scenario where, you know, it is third down. And I I really noticed that UCLA was pretty good at disguising coverages, especially when they're going to bring the blitz. Also, it seemed like they were pretty good at disguising where the blitzes were going to come from. They would put some a lot of players, maybe they'd put seven players at the line of scrimmage all across and then they would send six guys but you didn't know where the guys would come from. Some of them would be linebackers. Some of them would be linemen. They'd drop linemen back into coverage. So there was some creativity with the blitzes that UCLA brought to Cincinnati. It was very NFL-like. Very NFL-like. And I think Azanaro, of course, he did work with Chip Kelly in the NFL a bit, but I think he also might have had some experience for the Pittsburgh Steelers as well, which would make a lot of sense because that defense always has incredibly creative and uh, interesting blitzes. So I think that's something that can pose a problem. Just it can it could potentially confuse it can confuse Kyler Murray, but I like to think that Oklahoma will see these blitzes on film because uh, there was some again some creative ones that that UCLA put on tape, and they'll have a ways to to figure it out. And, and really, it you'd hope that it doesn't even get to that point where Oklahoma can just run its offense, just like it did against Florida Atlantic, and make hay 
score points, and move the ball. And I would Grant, say that's that's the most likely outcome, to be honest with you. I mean, it is. Mm-hmm. All right, Grant, what do you want to see happen on Saturday? Again, this is one of those one of those topics where, of course, we want to see Oklahoma win, but specifically, what are you kind of looking for in the game? I want to see the continuation of the dominance in the trenches uh, because, I mean, that's that's where you win, the, you win, win your titles right there in the trenches. Um, they certainly did that against Florida Atlantic. Let's see if they can do it against a Power 5 team. Based off what we've seen on tape and, you know, everything that we've said over the course of the you know first 30 minutes of this podcast, OU's going to have a lot of success, uh, you know, with UCLA in the trenches. They, they are. Um, if they don't, that means they're they're playing very poorly. So um, that's mostly what I want to see. Um, I, I I'd like to see you know Kyler Murray in, in some uh, maybe some tough positions, but at the same time, I kind of don't want to because if that's happening against UCLA, that's that's probably not a good thing. Um, I, I'd like to see the defense to continue to play well, especially with that with that gap discipline, which which they were so good with against Florida Atlantic. That's really all you need to do against UCLA, and you're going to be fine. Um, and like I said, just, you know, keep, keep tabs on Casimir Allen because he's, he's kind of the one game breaker they have on offense who can, who can kind of run away from everybody. Um, other than that, you know, let's, let, let's just, let's, let's keep it going. I, I, I run for 300 yards again, uh, put up a ton of yards, ton of points, just bury them. I, I'd love to see another blocked kick as well. I want to see the offense yet again, just as last week come out looking sharp, prepared, ready to go. This defense is going to be better, I think, than the Florida Atlantic defense. Not by much, but I think it's going to be better, a better unit than FAU. And I think just by being UCLA, just talent-wise, there's going to be a little better players on this UCLA defense probably than FAU had. Uh, so I want to see the offense continue to be efficient uh, and, and look sharp and Kyler to look comfortable. And, and make some plays defensively I want to see that defense look exactly the same as it did against FAU for the most part which means I want Mike Stoops to be as gung-ho and aggressive and prepared for UCLA's offense as he was against FAU's because after the game we kind of joked about it last podcast it certainly seemed like Mike Stoops was expecting more of a fight from FAU and he was ready I mean it's almost like Mike probably over-prepared for this one, which you should make the argument he should over-prepare for every single game. I mean, there's only 12 regular season games, and then if you're lucky, a, a Big 12 title game and a, and a playoff game if you're lucky. So you should be over-prepared for every single game because there's so few of them. But it really seemed like he was ready to go for that FAU offense, and he had a pretty good game plan, as you pointed out a lot last podcast. So I want to see another sharp, effective game plan for this UCLA offense because on tape – you would think you'd watch it, and it doesn't look that good. That offense does not look very good. I can see them getting lackadaisical, or lackadaisical and, and not preparing as, as much as they did against FAU. So that's what worries me. So I want to see the defense come out again and look hungry and ready to pitch a shutout, which you could tell they wanted last week. Yeah, I mean, and this, you know, if you're Mike Stoops, this is an offense that you, that you should be able to tee off on as well so uh yeah let's let's hope he comes in with another good game plan and uh just heavy on gap discipline that's that's what I want to see that's huge uh that's how you're going to prevent those big plays in the running game and as well I I I, again Leah I want to see the the secondary being very aggressive and flying around that was that was one of the themes of the game against FAU um I 
I think we're going to see it. I, I, I'm hoping that's that's the identity of the defense this year. There's evidence to suggest that that Mike Stoops is is building his defense around his secondary, which is which is what he should do. Um, and so we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll let's let's hope we see a continuation of what we saw against Florida Atlantic. Because if so, man, this could be a really fun season. All right, Grant. Prediction time. What will happen on Saturday? Uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna beat them up pretty badly. Um, I. I'm I am gonna I, I'm not gonna give a score prediction, um, but you know they're they're, they're gonna get very close to covering that that thirty and a half point spread. As for me, I think Oklahoma shows up yet again, ready to go. Another early kickoff. This one an hour later at noon, but it's it's another another early kickoff. So Oklahoma now is used to it, second week in a row. So it's gonna feel it's gonna feel like it felt leading up to the FAU game for all the Sooners. I do think Oklahoma's going to give up some points again because still this is Oklahoma's defense and it was inconsistent last season. I can't count on it to be consistent or at least super consistent quite yet. And plus, Chip Kelly is Chip Kelly. I Even though the personnel might not be great, I think he's going to figure something out. He's just he's too good of a coach not to, but Oklahoma, I think, will score its points. The Sooners win the game, I say, 48-14 to 14 this week, which does indeed cover that 30 point spread even though i think you said 30 and a half point spread so i'm i'm banking on oklahoma to cover again as they did last week before we move on to the the next part of the show grant i do have some facebook listener questions that just came in uh, that i that i've seen on the west of everest facebook page and this is from one of our most loyal listeners philip philip appreciate you listening and always appreciate your input philip has a couple uh questions one of them we've already kind of answered in the podcast about ucla's defense so we're going to skip that one. But this other question is kind of interesting. We'll, we'll see what, what you think, what I think. I still haven't really formulated my my answer on it yet. But Phillip says, in the Rose Bowl, it felt like Oklahoma's offense lost its fire towards the end of the game. Could early victories like Florida Atlantic and potentially UCLA set up our offense to not have enough stamina at the end of the year? Uh, I'm, I'm, try, I, I'm trying to understand what philip means by this question i don't know if he if he means like the offense having so much success early in games so they're not playing a full game that later on in the year when they actually do have to play full games against better teams will they not be used to it will they not be ready to play a full four quarters could that hurt oklahoma that's what he's asking okay yeah so i'd say i'm not too worried about it because last year oklahoma did this a lot as well and sure you mentioned georgia so that's your that's your reasoning because yeah Oklahoma's offense certainly after halftime against Georgia was not great. I think that had a lot more to do with Georgia's defense just adjusting and playing very well and and challenging Oklahoma and Oklahoma going away from tempo and not adjusting themselves. I don't think it had anything to do really with Oklahoma's early season and midseason blowouts of certain teams. So I would say that uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about that at all, Philip. Grant, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think he's basically asking, you know, how how is a team going to react in crunch time at the end of the season if they're in a bunch of blowouts? Hey, we saw this with Alabama two years ago when they were all of a sudden in a in a really close game with Clemson in the national title game, and they kind of, you know, well, they lost, you know. So I, I guess I, I see what he's saying. I, I guess you know that's something that I'm generally not going to worry about until you're actually in the moment. Um, but no, man, I I, I want to see as many points as possible. Freaking hang half a hundred on everybody. I don't care. And do it as quickly as possible. I'm dead serious. Just bury everybody. 
I, I just I, I want them to score as quickly as humanly possible and as much as humanly possible, as early in the game as humanly possible. And I just thought of one other thing, too, is I was listening back to our last podcast and there was a couple things where we were talking and then we didn't know the answer to. And we said, hey, we'll talk about that later. We'll table that. Well, one of them was the West Virginia OU game from last year, Grant. You wanted to see if the offense was similar or better than that game. So 650 total yards by Oklahoma, 10.4, 10.5 yards per play against FAU. Looking back at that West Virginia game from last year, because you mentioned that was what Oklahoma's most efficient or best offensive performance in school history. Uh, what was the wording it was, on it? I, no, it was that it was the it was the most prolific first half ever, or like the most oh, efficient. First, they they it was the highest uh, is the most yards per play in in a first half ever or in a half ever for Oklahoma. Oh, it was it was by half. Okay, well. It is a little more difficult to look up. I was going to try to do it on the fly right here because I have the entire game stats as far as yards per play goes. Let's see, 35. Man, Oklahoma only ran 54 plays in that game. (laughs) And they, oh man, okay. So the West Virginia game on a yards per play basis was way better. Okay. OU OU averaged almost 12 yards per play. Against West Virginia, yeah, that game was hilarious. They literally, oh my God. that that game that game was about as close to like a like a video game as you can get. Yeah. All right, Big Twelve games to watch in Week Two. We hope you've enjo- you enjoy the UCLA talk. Uh, actually, before that, I know I keep saying before, before, before. Again, you and I just heard uh, you and I, you listeners just heard Grant and I go on for about half an hour ish about Oklahoma UCLA, and we basically dogged the Bruins for half an hour. That's what we saw on tape against Cincinnati. Uh, we're being serious. I mean, we're being honest. That's what we saw on tape. UCLA, they don't look very good, man. It's a team that's not good. And, heck, they could come out and look totally different on Saturday, but, but trust us. If you haven't seen that UCLA-Cincinnati game, not just UCLA, but Cincinnati. Cincinnati's not very good either. Their offense was brutal. They couldn't stretch the field at all. Let's just say Oklahoma's offense will be able to stretch the field against UCLA's defense. They have no idea what they're going to see or what they're, what they're I guess, going to get from Oklahoma. I said it a lot last year, Grant. Defenses might think that they're prepared for Oklahoma, but until they actually get on the field and see how it goes, and granted, that was with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's the best college quarterback ever, so it might be a little different this year. But once you get on the field, you still, you're not going to be prepared for Oklahoma's offense because they come out and they hit you in the mouth with how explosive the Sooners are. Cincinnati wasn't explosive at all against that UCLA defense. So that's something to look out for. I just wanted to bring that up because, again, I know you've said it a lot. If something weird happens and UCLA is competitive in this game, that'll be incredibly fluky. That will come or out of nowhere. Oklahoma, Oklahoma played a terrible game, and it was yeah something that we could never – prepare for right yeah, if yes if, if if ucla comes out and and, and looks formidable in this game it, it's coming out of absolutely nowhere so yeah i just wanted to make that clear before we move on to the big 12 games to watch in week two which is where we are now we've got five games to talk about here saturday 11 a.m mississippi state at kansas state the wildcats almost lost to south dakota uh, the Bulldogs are almost a 10-point road favorite over Kansas State. I haven't seen either of these teams play, so I don't don't have anything intelligent to say about what's going to happen in this game yet. I still got to watch the tape. 
I just know that Kansas State almost losing to an FCS team in week one doesn't look good for the Big 12. And even though Mississippi State's on the road and almost a 10-point dive, it's at the same time, though, I it's SEC versus Big 12, but I just don't think Kansas State's going to be very good this year anyways. So I'm right now I'm probably leaning towards laying and swallowing that, those points, even though I, I'm probably going to regret it when Kansas State comes out and, and plays with Mississippi State and keeps it close because that's what Bill Snyder does. But uh, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this game. Grant, do you? Well, I mean, my gut originally said Mississippi State's going to go out and kind of run them off the field. And then, of course, my head took over and said, oh, well, that means this is a perfect Kansas State upset pick then. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I On paper, Mississippi State's a lot better team, a, a much better team. Um, if, if Kansas State wins this game, it's because they Kansas stated them to death. I, I, I don't really know what else <laughs> to say. Um, uh, Kansas State almost lost to South Dakota last week. And uh, if... if if you're a veteran of this pod and you've been listening to it a long time, you you, you know my opinions on Kansas State. It's it's not a it's not a team that I that I respect incredibly highly at all because they just don't really have a lot of good players and they never really have. Um, they're incredibly well coached and they got a lot of guys who are in the right position a lot. Uh, but if you punch them in the mouth, they're they're done. So we'll we'll, we'll see if Mississippi State can do that. I said I had five Big 12 games to talk about. I can't count. I have four, actually, so I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, The next one's a 4 o'clock kick on Saturday, Iowa State and Iowa. Let's save this one for later because I have this one in our picks segment, so we're going to pick this game later, so we'll we'll punt this game to later in the podcast. Uh, The next one, you might think, why why is this interesting to you? Well, I'll tell you why. South Alabama at Oklahoma State on Saturday night. Oklahoma State's nearly a five-touchdown favorite. I want to watch Taylor Cornelius play again. He was very underwhelming against an FCS team on Saturday, uh, last Thursday against Missouri State. I've been saying for months, I don't think he's going to be the guy long-term this year for Oklahoma State. I think he earned the starting job because he's a fifth-year redshirt. And, you know, give the guy a chance. And that's what basically Mike Gundy has been saying without saying it, actually. And sure, he threw five touchdown passes against Missouri State, but he missed some throws. He threw a bad pick. I my prediction now you can mark me down on this grant I think he'll start obviously against South Alabama and then he'll start Boise State and in the Boise State game he'll get pulled at some point and he won't make another start the rest of the season that's my that's my take on Taylor Cornelius Uh, I may change my mind if he comes out and looks like he's improved drastically against South Alabama who is it's not an FCS team not a great team but it's it's at least a team but I'm curious to watch it because I want to watch Cornelius play yeah, um, and so I'll, you know, full disclosure, I haven't watched a second of Oklahoma State's game from last week. Um, so my thoughts on a lot of these Big 12 teams are going to crystallize right. this week when I'm finally able to watch them. Um, outside of OU, the only other, you know, Big 12 games that I even really watched any of were, I, I saw some of the Texas Tech game and I watched some of the Texas game and I, I watched the first quarter of the West Virginia game and that's that's pretty much it. All right, last one. Tulsa at Texas and Texas is a 23 point favorite at home obviously the Longhorns just lost to Maryland didn't see Tulsa's game but I know they won so it's just the fact that Texas lost the first game and now they're going to play a, a, a Tulsa team with Philip Montgomery who had a bad season last year but he can coach offense you know who knows maybe Tulsa will be able to keep this somewhat interesting uh, although Texas usually beats up uh, beats up on the lower level teams like a Tulsa so this might not. You mean be like that Kansas? Interesting, <laughs> man. That's still that's like the only FBS team that David Beatty's beaten while being at that's Kansas. That's a fact. That's, that that is a fact. That's unbelievable. 
So that's all I have on that game. Any other Big 12 games that y- you find interesting? I know there's other Big 12 teams playing, but they're playing kind of garbage teams. Yeah, so no, you, you got that- I mean, the you know the Mississippi State-K State game, and of course Iowa State and Iowa are the, are the two you know most interesting ones. Um, I, I'm excited for that Iowa State Iowa game. Of course, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get when we get uh, closer to the end here. Before we get to the rest of the games to watch this week in college football, plus our week two picks against the spread. We got a new segment that we're going to insert into the pod right now that the football season is back, and we're going to call this Cross Them Off. After each week of the season, Grant and I will present the teams who we think should be crossed off, meaning this team is not going to seriously contend for a national title. Now, obviously, we could do this with low-level schools like, I don't know, Kansas. You just mentioned Kansas, like a team like Rutgers. Sorry, Rutgers. And, you know, other bad teams in in FBS and Power Five conferences. Uh, But we're only going to count teams who have gotten a lot of offseason hype or teams maybe that are ranked or unbeaten. So teams that still technically have a chance to win a national championship. So with all of that, I'll begin. I'm going to go with two teams this week. And I'm not sure if we're going to have rules and how many teams you can insert. Maybe, Maybe next week we'll decide. Maybe we should only do one team per week. Or if there's no teams that need to be crossed off, we do zero teams. I don't know the rules yet. We're kind of just shooting from the hip, but I'm going to go with two teams now. And these two teams, they have national title hopes this year. I guess technically they still both do. But after one week of college football, I'm going to say cross them off. Those teams actually played each other last week, and that's Michigan and Notre Dame. We'll start with Michigan. First off, of course, they're 0-1 now, so not great. The offense, still terrible, even with Shea Patterson in there. This tells me it's all Harbaugh and it's all his philosophy. Defenses are not challenged by Michigan. The Wolverines would probably have to win out to reach the playoff. And without a change of offensive philosophy and principles, this Michigan team isn't going to be anybody who's any good, who's actually like a title contender, like a high-level college football team, like an Ohio State, like a Wisconsin, and maybe even a Michigan State. And you might be thinking, what do you mean Michigan State? They almost lost to Utah State. Well, I watched that game. Utah State has a has a quarterback. It's pretty good. Utah State's actually a pretty darn good team, and Michigan State didn't look that terrible at all in that game. I think that's one of those games where the scoreboard was kind of deceiving. Michigan State's not a world beater by any means, but uh, Michigan State did not look all that bad. Next up, Notre Dame. You're thinking, but hey, Notre Dame, they beat Michigan. They won. They're 1-0. Sure, sure, that's true. But Brandon Wimbush still isn't very good. He made like three to four pretty good throws in that game. All of them came in the first part of the, the matchup when Notre Dame took a nice lead. After that, Notre Dame's offense didn't do anything against that Michigan defense. Plus, he looks to run the ball way too much, which it's probably because he knows he's not a great throw over the football. Doesn't have a lot of confidence in his arm. And I'm not sure if Notre Dame's defense is an upper echelon unit because I don't think Michigan had the ability to really challenge them that much in that game. Uh, Notre Dame's schedule is actually pretty manageable this year compared to last year. But I can see somebody like Virginia Tech shutting down Wimbush and then maybe having just enough offense to get by. Or Stanford maybe as well, number 10 in the nation. And and Stanford should be able to score a little bit against Notre Dame's defense. So I'm saying Michigan and Notre Dame cross them off. What do you think, Grant? Well, I mean, if we're being realistic or maybe not realistic, I, I don't know. It's a little too early to cross off Notre Dame, but I mean... 
theoretically, you could cross them off at the beginning of the season as if they're going to trot out Brandon Wimbush there. They, they're not going to win a national championship with him, period. That's why this segment's, this yeah. segment's so fun. Yeah, you're right. And so and so now here, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in my head, I'm trying to get creative because I'm, I'm tempted to just say Clemson right from the get-go. Because Ooh. because they can't I mean they they can't win a national championship with with Kelly Bryant they just can't. Um, well, it's gonna it's gonna be Trevor Lawrence. But though. I he's still a true freshman and he's I mean you're true. You really think Trevor Lawrence is gonna beat Alabama in a national championship game? No, no, yeah, no, no not at all. That's that's not happening. So yeah, I'm re- I'm I'm really tempted to just cross off Clemson now, um, but. I don't know. I, I to, to be more realistic, I, I guess we'll. So I, I I've been talking about how it's you know there there's seven or eight teams, and I'll I'll keep beating this, uh you know beating this to death that I think are are just a lot better than pretty much everyone else, and and I think uh the the end of that list uh ends with you know two teams that played each other this past week, Washington and Auburn, um and so I you can you know just by virtue of their schedule you can pretty much cross off Auburn. They're they're not getting through that schedule losing you know less than two games. They're just not. Um, and then with, with Washington, you can, you, you can cross them off because of Jake Browning that you can't win a national championship with him at quarterback period. All right. So Auburn and Washington, Michigan and Notre Dame, man, that's, we, we knocked, we crossed off some, some pretty big time high powered teams today. So we'll see how that plays out moving forward. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be that crazy going forward. I mean, once, once the season plays out, we'll see. That. And, and Clemson's going to be in the playoff. I, that's, that's almost no doubt, just by virtue of their defensive line and, and their defense. But I, I'm, they're going to, they're, that, that offense is not moving the ball consistently against, against a good defense. They're just not going to. All right, other games in college football this week, outside of the main games that we're going to get to a lot in our picks – that maybe you should watch or at least check the score. The first one, Saturday, 1 o'clock, Air Force at Florida Atlantic. I definitely want to see what Florida Atlantic's offense and, and team looks like not playing Oklahoma. Don't you, Grant? Oh, yeah, for sure. Very interested. So Florida Atlantic's a 9.5-point a, a favorite. We'll see if Lane's bunch can bounce back and knock off Air Force. So that'll be an interesting one to just kind of keep track of. This one, this next one's not going to be interesting to our listeners at all, but I'm kind of curious to see what you think about this, Grant. 6.30 on Saturday, Fresno State travels to Minnesota. The Golden Gophers are two-and-a-half-point favorites. I actually watched uh, the first half of that Minnesota game and now I'm against uh, New Mexico State, I think they played. Did you ever? Did you watch any of the Minnesota game, Grant? Yeah, I watched some of it. They they. That's the best. How are the Gophers looking? Uh, that's the best they've looked in a really long time. That's the best they've looked since the Glenn Mason era. I'm dead serious. Um, they were ex- starting a true freshman walk-on quarterback, I believe. Yeah, he he looked fine. I, I'm just more talking about everyone else. Um, yeah, they 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 killed New Mexico State, and you know if Minnesota didn't kill anybody, so it was it was just kind of surprising. Um, I think you know, some, New Mexico State averaged like they only had like three yards per play in the game too, and, and Minnesota had nearly 600 yards of offense. So that was interesting to see. Um, I don't know as a gambler, as the Gophers are two and a half point favorites. Uh, that's that's easy money. Go with Fresno State. Easy, easy money. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what I was going to ask you. Should Minnesota ever be favored? No, by... especially against a team that, you know, won 10 games last year and returns quite a bit of guys. And I think they yeah. I think they, they won by like 60 last week. So, Ooh, no, I, okay. I wouldn't. That, that's that's pretty easy money if you're a gambler right there. Go with, go with Fresno State. Uh, the next game that we're not going to pick, but two teams I have not watched play at all yet, but I'm curious to watch Florida. Kentucky plays at Florida. 
the Gators are a two touchdown favorite. Of course, that's a Dan Mullen. I guess the Dan Mullen era began strong, strongly well last week. I didn't see the the game. I'm not sure who they beat, but I guess they won. I don't have anything to say about this game. I just figured I I needed five games and I threw this one in there. Did you see a chance? Did you see Florida at all, Grant? No, I haven't seen them, but damn, man, it's right. it's, it's going to take an act of God for me to sit down and watch a Kentucky and Florida college football game, <laughs> especially post Urban Meyer, Florida. And yeah. and and I know I know well, everyone Dan Mullen. Aren't you, aren't no. you kind of curious to see what Dan Mullen looks like? Not particularly. I, I know everyone listening to this is just nodding in agreement right now too. That <laughs> I mean, that's that's eye torture watching Kentucky and Florida play football. Ugh, yeah. Uh, the next one's a little more interesting. Penn State, number 13 Penn State, travels to Heinz Field to take on Pitt. The Nittany Lions are 8.5-point favorites, and this is a Penn State team who needed overtime to beat App State last week. And I got to tell you, Grant, I'm going to say something that you probably didn't expect me to say today. I watched that entire game. Penn State wasn't as bad as I thought they'd be. App State's a good team. And Penn State, I still don't think that they're like a real serious title contender, but I... I imagine Penn State would look a lot worse in that game than they really did when I actually watched it. Trace McSorley looked like Trace McSorley. And that running back they have, I think Miles Sanders is his name, didn't have that great in numbers, but he kind of looks like Saquon Barkley. And maybe it's just the way he looks in his uniform and some of his runs, but he's probably going to be pretty good. And I was surprised that Penn State wasn't as bad as, as the score indicated. Eight and a half, lane eight and a half. I'm probably going to take them to cover this spread against Pitt. Did you see any of that game? Uh, I, I've only seen bits and pieces of the Penn State game. Um, and mostly just the highlights. So I saw all the explosive plays and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to wait on this one. I, 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 I'm not sure how Pitt's going to look. I know they were they're a pretty atrocious team last year until they until they beat Miami in, in the last week of the regular season. Um, we'll see. Uh, of, of course, the game being at night. I think that's the ABC primetime game, actually. Um, I think so. yeah, it's it's yeah. a good one. So we'll see. I mean, I was surprised. It, 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 I mean, it's a rivalry game, and you know what? But uh, Penn State on the road at night, and they're they could be shaky on the offensive. It's line, not even really so a never, road game you know. though, because I mean, it's a neutral site game. I mean, it's in Pittsburgh, but they're playing at Heinz Field. So yeah, there, there, there's going to be a lot of Penn State fans there. So yeah, interesting yeah. game. We'll see. I I I lean Penn State. I think they're going to win. You know, by a couple scores. And another one to the last one of other games to watch. This is pretty intri- and intriguing. I've seen one of these teams play. I have not watched another one of these teams play. Michigan State goes to Arizona State. And, of course, the Sun Devils are coached by Herm Edwards now, and they blew out whoever they played last week. I watched Michigan State, and I mentioned them earlier in the podcast. Utah State's quarterback's pretty darn good. I mean, he looked better than some of the quarterbacks playing. Uh, like He looked better than like Kelly Bryant. <laughs> to okay, me it's, which, it's it's very easy to look better than kelly bryant okay well i'm just trying to think of like a, a team that is like a national title type contender and like he looked like he was confident and i gotta say the the app state quarterback looked pretty good too making his first i think ever start so uh, when you have good quarterback play that's how you get teams to score to score points that sounds so dumb i mean basically my point is that's why michigan state and penn state both almost lost they went up against teams that actually had pretty solid quarterback play. I mean, like we're talking converting third down and in and, and nines and making like good throws. I mean, tightly contested throws that you're like, wow, that's a nice play. I mean, so my point is Michigan State didn't look as bad either as that seven points uh, you know, final score. 
Again, haven't watched Arizona State play, but right now I I, I tend to to lean towards Michigan State, even laying laying the six points out in the desert. Any thoughts on this game? I have very similar opinions on Michigan State that I do on Kansas State. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm really not sure. Arizona State's a pretty pretty explosive offense. Manny Wilkins is a pretty solid quarterback. I know they have Nikhil Harry, who who everyone is kind of, who's who's probably going to be a first round pick in the NFL draft. Um. I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I lean Michigan State just because they've done it so many times. Um, and this is, you know, I outside of Arizona State, I, I know they have an explosive passing game and they have some explosive players on offense. But other than that, it's Arizona State. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll lean Michigan State. But uh, look at this one as, as certainly a, a, an upset possibility uh, just because I, Michigan State is not going to out-talent a lot of teams that they play. Right, yeah. And I think... Uh... I think it's Brian Lewerke, Michigan State's quarterback. Lewerke, yeah. He he's, was out, go ahead. He was, I mean, he's, he's okay, but, I mean, he was outplayed by the Utah State quarterback. I mean, the stats don't really show it, but eyeball tests on the field. Utah State's quarterback just looked really calm, made some nice throws, and, yeah, I just, I mean, Lewerke's fine. He's just, he's not a world beater, though. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I just, it's so hard for me to pick Michigan State in, in any big game just because I, them them showing up on the big stage against Alabama in the college football playoff and just getting run off the field, um, and that was the best Michigan State team of all time. I just I they they didn't belong anywhere near that playoff, um, and gen, I I generally feel the same way about them in any sort of elite college football company. They they don't really belong. Finally, let's move on to our picks against the spread, and we got to run through this pretty quick because I got to go back to work. Last week, Grant, you beat me. You were three and two against the spread. I was two and three in the games we picked. I will say I'll make these picks for the for this podcast, obviously, and we'll stick to them. But moving forward, as I watch more tape and I get closer to the the, the weekend, I might change my mind on a couple of things. But again, they're they're locked into the podcast. I won't I won't say I changed it. So we'll start with a game that I Crap, I forgot to put the line for this one. Georgia at South Carolina. I believe Georgia it's a, is... It's a 10-point spread, I think. Okay, so Georgia is favored by... Is it 10? It's 10, yeah. All right, so Georgia is a 10-point favorite over South Carolina at South Carolina. Saw Georgia play. Of course, they played, I believe, Furman? Austin P. Austin P. So Furman was Clemson. Sorry. Okay. So I saw, and they shut out Austin P. Didn't see South Carolina's game. So I'm kind of waiting to go back and watch South Carolina blow out uh, Coastal Carolina. It's hard not to take Georgia because they look really, excuse me, they look really good again. I, I'll take the better team by far, even though South Carolina's at home. I'll lay the points and take the Bulldogs. Who you, what are you going to go with? I'm uh, taking Georgia. Um, I, I, I just don't envision South Carolina consistently moving the ball, and I think I think Georgia's offense is really good. Jake Fromm's really good. Um, I, I, I think uh, South Carolina's probably going to be able to get some stops, but um, UG, or, uh, UGA, I almost said. Uh, Georgia's just going to throw too many too many playmakers at them. I I. I, I I'll take Georgia to win by like 17 or something like that. Like give like a 34 to 17 type game. That's that that looks close but is never really all that close. Yeah, Fromm and uh Fromm and the offense in that game looked really well. Looked looked really well. Looked really good. Uh Justin Fields came in also and played Georgia's other true freshman quarterback, blue chipper, five-star. And he he had good numbers, but I've never seen a quarterback check his first read 
and then so quickly pull it down and run the ball in my life, which shows me that he has a long way to go. He's not quite developed yet, which you'd expect that. It's his first play, his first game playing. Uh, it's just Fromm is just way more way more along as a quarterback right now, as he should be. So one, that was one interesting note in that game I noticed. Uh, next one's intriguing. Colorado at Nebraska. Nebraska, of course, did not play last week because their game got canceled. The Cornhuskers are five-and-a-half-point favorites. I was rolling with Scott Frost last week when I think they were like a three-touchdown favorite over whoever they were going to play. Akron, I want to say. Now Nebraska's only a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Colorado. I'm going to roll with Scott Frost. I just It's kind of the same way. I, I, tr- I was back in Chip Kelly last week, and it burned me. I think Scott Frost a little hotter right now than Chip Kelly. I'll back him and, and think that they can at least beat Colorado by a touchdown. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Colorado. I don't know. I, we haven't seen Nebraska play, and they're starting a true freshman at quarterback. Um, Colorado played, you know, destroyed Colorado State last week. Um, I'm going to go with them. I, I, I have no idea what Nebraska has. All right. Iowa State at Iowa. The Hawkeyes are four-point favorites in this game. Everyone that listens to this podcast all the time knows how much I like the Cyclones, so I'm going to stick with them and put my money where my mouth is and take Iowa State plus four over Iowa. And, again, Iowa State, another one of those teams, didn't play last week. and They played like a, a half a quarter before their game got canceled, and I think they scored a touchdown, the Cyclones did. Even without any game action, I'm still going to ride with Iowa State over Iowa. No, I think what they only you? they played like 30 seconds, and they scored on their first play, and then the oh, game wow. got called. Yeah. Wow. So they scored on like a 60-yard touchdown pass, um, and then the game got called. Um, I'm going to take Iowa State um, just because I, I think this game is going to be so ugly, and you know it is. You know it's going to be. This game is going to be played in the 20s or the teens, um, and so, you know, in, in a game that close, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to take the underdog, especially when it's a four-point spread. So um, Iowa State, I, I think they're, you know, they're, they're experienced on defense. They're, they're disciplined on defense. I think they're going to do a good job of containing Iowa. And then uh, I, I'm excited to see David Montgomery. Same here. Two more games left to pick. Uh, probably the biggest game of the week. Eh, second biggest, depending on, on where you're coming from. I think this is the biggest one of the, the week, the most intriguing game of the week, even though it's it's a ranked team versus an unranked team. Number two, Clemson at Texas A&M. And it's, it's interesting because of Jimbo Fisher, obviously, and, and what can he do for this Texas A&M team? The Tigers are 12-point favorites on the road. I watched Clemson. I saw Trevor Lawrence. I saw Kelly Bryant. The, the defense looked pretty good against Furman. I watched a little Texas A&M as well. I they don't have a quarterback at Texas A&M, so that makes it difficult, man. But it's this was this is a hard one for me because mainly because A&M doesn't have a quarterback. But I like their coach. I like Jimbo Fisher a lot, and he's coached against Clemson quite a bit, obviously. But I think he had better players a lot of time at Florida State, and he always had a, he always seemed to have a better quarterback. Man, I. I'm going to take the better team. I'm going to lay the 12 with Clemson. And a lot of that's due to with the history of Texas A&M. I just, they're kind of pretenders. Not kind of, they are. They're pretenders for the most part historically. And even with Jimbo Fisher, I, I don't trust them. I'm going to take Clemson minus 12. What about you? I'm also going to take Clemson. Um, I, I, I can certainly envision Clemson coming in and, and struggling on offense uh, in the first oh, same, half of this same. game. A, a lot, actually. Um, I, I just, Texas a and is not going to be able to move the ball, I don't think. Um, so, you know, take, I don't think so either. Take, just, so either. just, just take Clemson because I think, you know, if, if you don't, you're trying too hard, I think in, in this situation. And that's, that's a, that's a pretty low line uh, still. And that's, this is a really, exp- yeah, that's pretty high. I mean, for a team on the road, I mean, A&M with a good quote, with like a, I mean, a high, probably a 
Jimbo Fisher, I mean, is he a top five coach? No. Top, I mean, top 10, uh, certainly. Maybe top. I mean, he's got a national championship, so I, I'd have to look at the list. Definitely top 10. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's why it's it's kind of high. I mean, it's not quite two touchdowns, but double-digit road favorite. You don't see that a whole lot when you're playing I against could, these big-time yeah, teams. I, I, I could envision A&M giving them a really good game, but I could just I could only envision it. I think the most likely outcome is that Clemson just has a very kind of ho-hum, workman-like and they win, you know, win by like 17 or 20 points, something like that. Finally, two ranked teams. I believe this is the only game all uh, – no, okay, Georgia and South Carolina is two ranked teams as well. But uh, USC, who's 17th at number 10 Stanford. Stanford's a five-point favorite. I'm not going to even think about this one. I'm going to take Stanford minus five at home. I was on the other side of Stanford last week and got burned. San Diego State – didn't do anything offensively outside of one drive. And, and Stanford, even without Bryce Love, was able to score 30-plus points. I haven't watched USC play yet, so I haven't seen their quarterback, but they couldn't cover the spread against UNLV. I like Stanford with a more veteran team and going against a, a, a new quarterback. I'll take the Cardinal laying the five. What about you, Grant? Lee, USC gave up like 330 yards on the ground to UNLV. What do you think Bryce Love is going to do to them? Oh, wow. And also, I'll, I'll I'll take Stanford, obviously, and you know there, there's more that goes into that as well. Uh, JT Daniels at USC, the 17 year old true freshman, is making his first uh, road start at Stanford. Um, it his first Pac-12 game. No, it's it Stanford's going to win this game. I'm surprised this line's not a touchdown, at least like seven. I mean, you you got to lay less than a touchdown, and all the things you mentioned. I feel pretty good about Stanford in this one. All right, that's it for today. Good podcast. Uh, enjoy Oklahoma versus UCLA. We'll have plenty of reaction to hopefully another Oklahoma W. Don't want to get too greedy, but it should be a pretty easy W. But a win's a win. Hopefully Oklahoma can get that W against the Bruins. We'll talk about it on Monday. Until then, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.